Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Galactica Actually. I am Jamie Smith and joining me is my co-host. Hey, Diallo Jackson. (laughs) 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 And today we will be talking about Season 2, Episode 6, Home, Part 1. This episode was originally written to be one episode and then david ike realized that the script was like 65 pages long which is a little bit longer than an average episode should be but he said it wasn't enough for two episodes so they asked the network if they could split it into two they were given the go-ahead and then ron moore came in and helped him flesh out some stuff so that there was space for story in two episodes and because of that this episode feels like a lot of setup for everything that happens next week yeah i think he said that the first two acts of his original script is like this episode and then the third act is the stuff for the next episode and he also said that he he sent it to the director um and i think this was his first I think he said it was his first script that he did for the show. And mm-hmm. so he was kind of nervous and he like sent it to the director and he's like, give me your honest opinion. And, and the director was like, it's not up to snuff. <laughs> oh, and, that, really? that, yeah, and that was part of what kind of made them turn it into two. Cause they just realized it was, you know, it was trying to do too much in one episode. So, yeah, I also read that it was like a lot of character stuff and not a lot of, plot (laughs) which i love a good character story but you still have to have something else going on there yeah yeah i don't know but i actually i I felt it was a i kind of call it a feel-good episode (laughs) actually i had like a lot of warm fuzzies watching this one so even though there wasn't like a lot of like there was a lot of setup I think it started to establish a lot of really good stuff. And um, I watched um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds right before this. 
which was a really good, really, really good episode that warmed my heart. And then I watched this episode and it warmed my heart also. So between the two episodes, <laughs> it was enough to pull me out of my depression that I was going through. So Okay. Yeah, good talk. Well, that's good. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> power power of uh, storytelling. Yeah. So we open on the CIC. Adama is walking and we hear a conversation that was happening or happened between him, Ty, and D. Um, she's telling them that 18,000 people were aboard the 24 ships that broke away from the fleet with Rosalind. Ty says that that's over a third of the people in the fleet, which is interesting because the number of ships themselves, they said last week, was not quite a third of the fleet. <laughs> so very populated ships, yeah. even though they were, you know, under a third. Adama asks for a breakdown of what they lost, and D starts to give him stats on the colonists, and he's like, I don't care about that. I want to know what ships we lost and what their purpose was. So it turns out to be 12 transports, seven freighters, three construction platforms, a private cruiser, and a mining ship. Ty notes that losing the mining ship called the Monarch is a blow. He then says that morale is low across the fleet with the press going wild and family split apart. And Adama snarks, don't talk to me about family. My <laughs> God. Okay. Um. I wanted to point out that Adama is using Ty kind of as a crutch to help him walk around yeah. while they're having this conversation. So he's still recovering from his wounds yeah, it, on lots of levels. In the director's commentary, he was talking about that uh, David Icke was on this one um, with Rod Moore, and he was saying how uh, uh, Eddie almost was so good about keeping that continuity and putting all those touches in there. So. The... That's that sounds like him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Consummate professional. Yeah. Over on the Astral Queen, Adama's family, I mean Lee, is ensuring that he supports the president completely and his only priorities are preserving her safety, preservation of her safety, and the completion of this mission. The people seem to have doubts about that given who his dad is. They are concerned that he won't stand with them if he has to go against his father, which is a valid concern, I think. I mean, yeah, I guess. I, I wasn't really buying it, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rosalind assures them that if it weren't for Lee, she'd still be in the brig and she trusts him completely. There is fear that the Galactica will come after them and wipe them out. And Zarek points out that there are ships in their little rebellion fleet that are armed and they can arm others just in case. Apollo scoffs at this because going against the Galactica would be suicide. There's nothing they could do if the Galactica wanted to take them out. And then he's... Oh, um, <clears throat> I made a note that this has nothing to do with anything. But <laughs> Jamie Bamber looks so handsome in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> that has everything and... to do with everything. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I just love how he performs this scene in particular. Like the way he delivers his lines. I was just what I realized is in this now, I don't know how many times I've watched this show, but this go around where I'm really paying very close attention, mm -hmm. it's given me a much greater appreciation of the things that Jamie Bamber chose to do as this character. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned this because I my brain was kind of going off in this sequence listening to him speak too. I had a little bit of a different observation though. <laughs> what? Um, it was it's not a bad thing, but like it, when he gives these uh, sort of like impassioned, he speaks louder. Um, he sounds almost different, and then I was just I was just thinking, oh, like his his acting to keep his British accent under wraps uh, makes his voice sound a little bit different when he he talks in that higher register, like to a large group of people. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I have noticed um, not with him necessarily, but just in general, when British actors are using American accents, that when they yell, mm -hmm. it's a lot harder for them mm -hmm. to keep the American in check because they have they struggle with the R's mm. because we we really pronounce our R's unless we're from Boston or Rhode Island. <laughs> um, we really pronounce our R's here and they drop them. Okay. And it's harder to keep to do that without thinking about it. Yeah. I think. I noticed it a lot with um Ben Barnes in The Punisher. Mm. Whenever he was yelling, I was like, Oh, British the British came out a little bit. Ah, uh, interesting. <clears throat> anyway, Rosalind believes that Adama let them go and that Starbuck will return with the Arrow of Apollo and it will help them find Earth. There's some guy who wants to know how long they're supposed to wait for her. She thinks, or he thinks they should go to the surface now and start looking for the tomb. And Lee points out that there may still be Cylons on the surface. Alosha cuts in and says that some of them will die down there. The scriptures say that any return to Cobalt will pay with blood. The room is silent. The music is dramatic. And Rosalind steps in then and says that she's aware that there are unanswered questions, but she refuses to lose sight of what this is about, saving humanity. It's a big risk or a big ask, she knows, but she isn't going to waver from her destiny. She says that if anyone can't get on board with that, they are welcome to go back to Adama's fleet. And as she's talking, James Remar comes in and whispers something to Zarek. And it's pretty much almost never a good sign when James Remar shows up. <laughs> Just ask Dexter or Samantha Jones or Alex Karev. <laughs> so he and Zarek leave. And they go to the control room. And James Remar, whose character's name is Meyer, is showing Zarek that a ship jumped into their Dreadus range without a colonial transponder. And it's too large to be the raider that Starbuck left with. It also hasn't responded to their hails, and he thinks that they should shoot first and ask, ask questions later, which is never a good plan, and it's only carried out by cowards, in my opinion. It's different from my new favorite philosophy, which is ask for forgiveness later, <laughs> which is really all about just doing what you think is right to accomplish something that maybe bends the rules a little, but shooting first and asking questions later is just stupid. Like, who are you going to ask questions to when you've killed everyone on board? <laughs> <clears throat> but D Zarek agrees with this dumb idea because he likes to blow up buildings. And so why wouldn't he want to blow up a ship that could potentially be helpful to them? Meyer says that the Adriatic is in weapons range and has ship to ship missiles. So if they're going to shoot it down, they need to do it now. And Rosalind and Lee come in and she asks, shoot what down? While Lee is looking at the Dreadus. And they don't immediately answer, so she repeats her question, and Meyer says they have a security situation, nothing to worry your pretty lady brain about. <laughs> but Lee cuts him off and says she wasn't talking to him. 
Zarek fills her in. Myra repeats that they need to act now to shoot it down. Zarek says they need a decision, deferring to her. As she's considering this, suddenly Starbucks' voice comes over the wireless, stating who she is and asking if they can hear her. And she repeats herself, and then she says, Hello? Hello? <laughs> I wrote, I love ad-lib Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she does that a few times in this episode. Um, and then there's smiles all around, except on Meyer's face. So I'm beginning to think we can't trust that guy. Yeah, he's a little shady. I, it's actually interesting, like, you know, an actor that's more well-known showing up on the show. It was a really, like, low-key, understated introduction to him. Like, he, you know, it yeah. wasn't like, here's James Remar. It was sort of like, you know, they had this big scene going, and he slips in out of focus in the back, whispers something, and takes off, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, wait, I know who he is, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, and he's always kind of been one of those that guys. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, that guy. Mm-hmm. Like, most of the time, people can't even remember what his name is. And like, yeah, you know Dexter's dad. Yeah, I kept saying, kept... it's like I've seen him in a billion things. I know who he is. But every time when we were doing this, we were doing this show, I'm like, Dexter's dad. It's the, mm-hmm. oh, what's his name? And I should know his name, you know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the astral queen, astral queen, that's a hard thing to say. Maybe it's just hard for me to say. The Astral Queen allows the Heavy Raider to dock. Starbuck comes into the loading bay looking tired and sad. She smiles when she sees Lee and they hug and then he kisses her, surprising her and himself. She looks at him confused and says, it's good to see you too. I wrote this Um, kiss, this kiss. (laughs) (laughs) He tells her to remind him to send her to the brig later. Rosalind comes up to greet her. Starbuck suddenly remembers that there's something she needs to tell Lee. And then Sharon walks in all slow and anonymously. And Lee sees her and freaks out, remembering that Sharon shot her his father. And he lunges at her, slamming her against the wall and holding a gun to her face. Starbuck tries to stop him and is grabbing at the gun and yelling that she's with them. Hilo comes up behind Lee and holds a gun to his head, telling him to drop his weapon, sir. And we go to credits. That's a nice introduction between Hilo and uh, Apollo. They finally I can't remember if they had any scenes together in the miniseries. I think. Yeah, I don't think that they did. I think um, there was like a scene when they were like Hilo was in the ECO with uh, with Boomer, and they were sending them off. And I think that's the closest they ever came to like having a scene or interaction. So. Well, Hilo was in that first card game with Starbuck and Apollo. Ty yeah. was Apollo in that game? Apollo wasn't in that game, no. Apollo hadn't okay. been on the ship yet. That was before he got there. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right, because when he got there, she was already in the break yeah. for punching Ty. <clears throat> so we return to this weird Mexican standoff. Rosalind speaks up, telling them that she's only going to say this once to put their guns down. She asks Kilo what's his, what his name is, and he tells her, and Lee says he was Sharon's ECO. And then he says, I thought you were dead, Hilo. Are you a Cylon too? Which is not amusing to Hilo at all. Rosalind continues to try to defuse the situation, telling them that they're going to lower the weapons. Hilo asks about Sharon, and Rosalind says she'll be taken to a holding cell where she will remain unharmed. Hilo negotiates with Lee, asking if they should do what the nice lady says. 
and Lee informs him that she is the president of the colonies. And then she tells them again to lower their weapons now. It's all very tense, but they do. Starbuck and Sharon both breathe sighs of relief. Rosalind thanks them and then orders the guards to throw Sharon out an airlock. And I believe what she says is throw that thing out an airlock. Hilo is very upset. Rosalind says they don't keep Cylons around. They pull Sharon away. Lee yells that one of those things put two rounds in his father's chest. Sharon yells that it wasn't her. Kara is shocked to hear that Adama was shot. And he tells her, Lee tells her, that she's missed a few catastrophes while she was away. He lets her know that Adama is okay now. And Sharon continues to yell that it wasn't her. And Hilo yells at Starbuck, reminding her that this Sharon saved their lives on Caprica. He begs her to tell them, and she says nothing. Sharon says that she knows how to find the tomb of Athena, and this gets Rosalind's attention. She says that Cobalt is a big planet, and without her, they won't find it. Hilo begs them to listen to her. And meanwhile, Starbuck takes the arrow out of this poster tube that Anders get, put it in and hands it to Rosalind. Rosalind tells a guard to have the other guards hold off on murdering Sharon just yet. She <laughs> thanks Starbuck and then asks if there's some place where she can, where she and that young woman can speak. Uh, Zarek says he can arrange that. Lee, no longer so happy to see Starbuck, I guess, thanks her for bringing the trash with her. <laughs> she looks at Hilo and says, looks like we missed all the fun. I mean... Everybody's been through a lot, so you almost yeah. almost forget how much, like, just Hilo has n no idea, right? No. <laughs> like, he doesn't even know who Rosalind is. Yeah. It's like, why don't we listen to the nice lady? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, and then between them, like, you know, Starbuck hasn't been gone, like, that long, but she wasn't around for Adama getting shot, and then... Right. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, Sharon shows up. And that was, you know, the same model that shot. Yeah, there's like every I understand everybody's reaction in this instance uh, is a little shocking to see Rosalind kind of like turn so quickly. Like she like kind of gives a promise and then turns around right away and throw will throw out, out the airlock. And uh, well, I think after the Leobin situation and, you know, what they've been sort of conditioned to understand that these that Cylons will lie. They'll say anything. Yeah. Like, I understand it. I'm not, like, being yeah. like she's... A, um, but they... I And again, the director's commentary, they talk a little bit about it, too, where they're just, like, you know, you, you do want to see your president, like, doing some, like, edgy things, going back on her word a little bit, you know? But um, you don't want them to, like, just be so clean <laughs> all the time. Mm -hmm. So it it you know and like I like I just I always love the way she like kind of takes charge and yeah it's like it's <clears> cool. We go back to the Galactica and Adama and Ty are discussing who can be promoted to CAG. Adama shoots down anyone that Ty suggests. Ty says that he knows Adama doesn't want to hear this, but there isn't another Apollo in this bunch and they have to pick someone. And Adama is crushing walnuts in his bare hands. Uh, it's a choice. I wonder if, like, I wonder why it's walnuts. There is a whole, they talk about this. <laughs> they talk okay. about it in the director's commentary. 
um, which I can't exactly remember the whole story, but it was something about, it was either a scene or something that they were doing in another episode. And then he was like, uh, David Icke was like, oh, I'll have him crack walnuts. So that wasn't just Have like you a... ever tried to crack a walnut? Yeah, I was actually, when I was watching it, I was like, man, he's, he's pretty strong for actually just having gotten out of surgery and just cracking him like no big deal. So maybe he has like, super grip. I guess, because <laughs> usually you actually need a legitimate nutcracker yeah. to crack a walnut. They, they said if you notice he doesn't even eat one. <laughs> I was going to say, like, maybe I missed it, but I don't think he's even eating them. Yeah. He's just like, and we'll talk about his rage, but he's yeah. just so angry that he's literally just like pulverizing walnuts right now. Yeah. But that definitely was a, it was a legit character choice by david ike i think he's the one that wrote it in okay. there yeah there's a knock at the door and some guy named birch comes in adama thanks him for coming on short notice he's sure that birch is aware that there's been a change in the fleet and they need a new cag to step up birch understands and asks who it's going to be adama hands him a box with the little captain pins in it congratulating him on his promotion and birch is surprised thanks him and throws in how great Apollo was as a leader and Adama says that this ship is a family and he loves every on it everyone on it as much as he loves his sons <laughs> plural Adama then tells him that he has the support of the entire crew right colonel and Ty convincingly agrees Birch says that he won't let Adama down is thanked and dismissed and when he leaves Ty's like what the hell did you have me in here for <laughs> like what were we doing here and Adama says he wanted to see if he and Ty were on the same page and I guess they aren't Ty asks if Adama really thinks that Birch is leadership material and Adama says they have slim pickings and he's a good man and Ty's just like okay well it's your call I'll support it and he leaves, and Adama crunches another walnut, and the subtitles actually said crunch with an exclamation point. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny, sub and I rewound to see. <laughs> subtitles are something else sometimes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. They said, they said they, yeah, the director's cover there, they were talking about uh, Birch and just kind of casting him and stuff, but they were just like, they're like, he's very tall. Uh, and they were just like, he has that face, they said. So just, he had, like, when you look at him, he has that face. Like, he looks like he could be capable, but he's not quite up to snuff. And, mm. uh, yeah, so. And then, On um, Trisha Helfer's podcast, like, there wasn't all that much in that podcast to really, like, relay. But one of the things was how often she said, he's just, he's really handsome. Mm -hmm. He's re look at him. He's very handsome. Mm -hmm. So she seemed to be pretty taken with his face. <laughs> yeah. He was like, he's a handsome. It, it, it was like, I think they said that. And I, and I kind of noted a little bit later, he's kind of like, he's Apollo, like the way he carries himself, but without the talent, the actual talent, mm -hmm. you know? So he has that same uptightness and that same, like, you know, it looks like he has a drive to do these things, but he's just not there, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and it goes along with his face. So it's like you want to put him in this position, but he just doesn't have that whatever it is. And and they also talk about how, like, 
you know, normally like they always want to like bring people back, but in his case, they kind of didn't because the way he was portrayed in this episode, like they were like, what are we going to do? Keep bringing him back and keep talking about how he couldn't get the ships right. to dock and stuff. How so. he crashed two ships together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to the briefing room and the press is going wild, yelling questions as Adama comes in the room Adama has some trouble getting the mic to work, so Ty helps. He tells everybody to be seated. They yell questions at him, but he wants to make a statement first. If they don't already know, the fleet has been divided. The press speaks up, but he tells them to wait. And he says, they share the grief of friends lost, and the resources they've sacrificed will present new challenges for them all. But if they stay together, they will rise to the occasion as they have before. This statement means nothing. (laughs) Sounded good. He (laughs) <laughs> he asks if there are any questions and the press like erupts and Adama calls on Playa. She asks if he knows the whereabouts of President Roslin's rebellion and he if he plans on getting the fleet back together. He responds by saying that Laura Roslin is no longer president, that she gave up that privilege when she tried to pull off a mutiny on his ship. He asks for the next question. McManus starts to ask a question, but Playa interrupts that Adama has not answered her question yet. And he says that they have lost no one that can't be replaced by someone loyal who has chosen to stay with them. And my commentary on this is that this is some dictator bullshit. <laughs> Hamilton asks if there's truth to the rumor that there is no earth and Adama just made it up. And Adama demands to know where he heard that. Hamilton says that he heard it over the all that it's all over the wireless in newsletters. And I forget the other term he used, like cut paper or something adama says that freedom of the press isn't a license to slander and that broadcasting this is an easy way to to a cell in the brig and then my commentary is what fucking trump am i watching here <laughs> did i when so when he says the loyal part like so back back in the day when i used to watch uh the apprentice i'd always notice how when his ew you watch that show yeah. back yeah back in the day yeah i mean it was it was a tv show whatever <laughs> I, mean, I just it, never ever liked donald trump so i did not watch that show yeah i mean i didn't watch it because i was like oh this guy's he's amazing I actually i i watched it because i i mean even back then and i had conversations with friends that turned later but we were all like he's a buffoon and that we literally mm-hmm. were like, he's a buffoon and watching his hair fly in the wind. And so you just, that was the, like, kind of when I watch any reality show, I'm watching it for the train wreck, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, like when he would have his boardroom, I started to pick up on this, this thing that they would always say about loyalty. And then I was like, that's probably like a, like a thing for him and his family. He probably like sits there and drills that idea into their heads from like a, you know, an early age, so when he had like Don Jr. and he, he fought, it's Ivanka, is that her? Ivanka, yeah. yeah. They would they would like drop that word in all the time, and I'm like, oh, that must be a thing for them. And then later, when he's in office, I heard him say it again. I'm like, yep, that's that's their thing. It's all about loyalty, and it's very like like uh, Game of Thrones royal family ish kind of stuff, you know, rather than democratic. Like, mm-hmm. like you were saying, and um, yeah, so, uh, and the fact that he, um, 
Adama, the fact that Adama, like he did lie about Earth and and, mm-hmm. and gets all like upset. <laughs> and then he says, "You, the free press isn't a license to slander, and anyone broadcasting <laughs> this fake news will get a jail cell." It was disturbing. I was not happy. I think your mic almost like you almost blew your mic out. <laughs> I'm very close to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it made me very mad. Yeah, no, I did it, not like Adama at all yeah, in the scene. Yeah, because because you like you know he lied and he knows he lied and it's that like that you know like sometimes when people get caught in a lie they will like you know exclaim offense instead of you know capitulating and so that's he just tries to be all offended by hearing this thing that actually is what he did you know mm-hmm. yeah well ty who was an absolute dipshit like two episodes ago very smartly cuts this charade off <laughs> before it gets too too out of hand playa is actually asking adama if he's a dictator and when they get in the hallway adama tells ty to get his hands off him ty tells him to calm down and as they walk away, they pass by Baltar, who is standing in the doorway of his lab smoking. And in my official companion, it said that they wrote in this little scene with uh, with Baltar and Six because they realized if they didn't, these two would not be in this episode at all. Yeah, that's uh, they they talk about that in the director's comments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ron Moore actually went back and wrote that in. So. Yeah, that's what it says in the book, and he there's stuff about how he had just gone like to Alaska or something and had been thinking about these salmon swimming upstream. So that's why Baltar tells this story about watching fish swim upstream when he was a kid. And head six says that he's beginning to see humans as they see them. And he says he's seeing Cylon faces everywhere. And Bamone's not asking Sharon who the Cylons in the fleet were before that idiot killed her. (laughs) Do you think that they had a salmon um, farm on those on Aralon or whatever, and then on the ships, and then they brought them to Earth? He doesn't call them salmon. Oh, okay. He just what does he say? Just as fish? Yeah, I don't remember. Actually, I can pull up the transcript really quick and see what kind of fish he says it is, because I'm pretty sure he did not say salmon. I mean, it's not that. It's not that important. Well, now it's, I want. Now I want to know. It just it just got me thinking. <laughs> I you know things I think about every once in a while with the show. It was like how they... nope, he just says I would just watch the fish try oh, to swim okay. upstream. All right. Do you think I guess that our they... assumption is always salmon because that's what we know? Yeah. Swims upstream. What was your question? Oh, I just I, like. Do you think that they brought fish? For... <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. I always wonder, not always, but since I read The Hunger Games, I wonder, like, was each colony, like, sort of specialized in a different trade or something? Because that's kind of the way they make it seem. And that's very much the way that, like, the country was broken up into Mm -hmm. districts Mm -hmm. in The Hunger Games. So I wonder if I'll ever get an answer to that in one of these companion books I have. You pick up a little bit on some stuff in um, towards the back half of Caprica, I think. So it's super vague. I just have heard some stuff like some places were uh, 
like mining locations and that kind of stuff. So you figure they all have like a certain skill set. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get that kind of idea from Baltar when he talks to Tori about how he's from Aralon and his, mm-hmm. you know, he knows agriculture. He knows farming because yeah. he was a farmer's son. And then, then is it is it the same episode when um you know when uh, Chief goes Martha Ray or whatever, and he's uh, it's not the same episode. Um, but when he they they had that whole discussion about how like Capricans tend to always be in high mm-hmm. positions and yeah. Uh, anyway, Head Six tells him to stop getting so worked up. He's not like them. He never was. He has a destiny. So sit back and let it happen. And humans will self-destruct like they always do. And that's it for these two. One thing I noticed about that little exchange, um, it, it actually speaks a little bit to the question from last week about the model numbers. Um, because he, you know, Baltar is like, why didn't I ask? How yeah. You know, and, and I was just kind of thinking like, you know, when that scene's being written and Ron Moore wrote it, how he it was it's almost like he was responding to these questions and people ignored the answer here and only stuck with the you know the question from the previous episode because it was i think it was a little bit of a controversy and people started coming up with all these different theories about stuff but i think he basically just kind of the way it's reiterated here it's just kind of like yeah like there are eight to me there are eight Cylons in the fleet and he just Baltar is like wondering why didn't I ask you know yeah because I think he specifically says why didn't I ask for names yeah yeah so that answers that (laughs) okay (laughs) we go back to the astral queen Sharon's telling Roslyn why she helped Hilo and Starbuck because she's carrying his child and she loves him Rosalind is not convinced. She thinks that Sharon is there to trick them. She doesn't say that, but like she says other a lot of words to mean that. Sharon says that she's there because she chose to be, and that even if they find the tomb and open it and get to Earth, the price will be high. Rosalind isn't interested in Sharon's prophecies. Only her own prophecies are the ones she cares about. She assumes that Sharon is telling the other Cylons their plans as they speak. And Sharon's like, it doesn't work that way. I'm not wired in. Cylon Wi-Fi. Yeah. (laughs) Rosalind demands that Sharon tell her the way to the tomb. Sharon says to get her a map and she'll do her best. And Rosalind basically says that she'll do better than her best or else. So we cut to her telling everyone else that Sharon claims to love Hilo and the baby she's carrying. Meyer is basically advocating for killing again, but Alosha cuts him off by talking about a lower demon in the Scrolls of Pythia that helped the people in a time of crisis. Zarek calls this superstition. Rosalind says that she told Sharon she would throw Hilo out an airlock if they don't return from Cobol with a map to Earth. It doesn't matter if it's true as long as Sharon believes it. Rosalind believes that Sharon believes she loves him. It's real to her, and she wants Hilo and her baby to live. So Hilo goes to visit Sharon in the holding cell and says that this isn't the way he thought it would be. Sharon says that she understands why they're suspicious. They're humans. It's the way that humans are. 
we go back to Rosalind and Meyer asks whether anyone considered Sharon is setting a trap. Rosalind says she has more than considered that. Apollo's already told them there are Cylons on the surface. Meyer is dismissive. And then she tells him that Apollo is second in command only to her and in charge of this mission. Meyer should do well to remember that. So we go back to Galactica. I only wrote one line. I said, Birch fucks up a training mission and almost gets killed. Because there's really nothing else to say. I mean, I actually like the scene. Um, but yeah, yeah. There's, not, there's nothing much to say. I think in the director's commentary, they did talk about how they had to go to, what's his name, um, Bradley Thompson and David Weddle to like actually plot out like how this whole thing could actually take place because they had a little bit more military background in their writing, I guess. Um, so kind of watching that scene was cool. And then I just thought like how I wonder if Cat had died here, how it would have, how would how would have made you feel? <laughs> well, I don't hate Cat yet. Yeah, I don't. We don't hate Cat I mean, until I don't Scar. Hate I Kat. think. Yeah. Yeah, like she just like at this point, she's just you know, like she started out as this like sort of overeager nugget, and now she's become a really competent pilot. It's just that later when she's like fuck you starbuck about everything that i'm like no fuck you <laughs> who do you think you are <laughs> oh man it's so good <laughs> i love it it's funny because like i like she she annoys me but then like if anybody it's almost like a if she was like my sister or something like if anybody talked crap about her i would like i'll snap back at him don't you talk about cat that way but <laughs> i will talk dirty about her <laughs> so when i when i met my my best friend um i had known her sister i'd worked with her sister at a record store and i did not like her sister back then and so the first thing i ever said to her when i met her was like oh patty's your sister your sister's a bitch <laughs> and she was like fuck does this girl think she is and didn't like me, understandably. Yeah. And then we hung out a few other times, and she decided I was really funny, and she was like, "No, I do like you, and you're right. My sister is a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "But I can, I can say that you can't." Yeah, exactly. And, and then eventually, I became friends with her sister too. But oh. yeah, I always remember that. Like those are the first words I ever said to who became my best friend now of like twenty something years. It's true. Yeah, cat's can... so annoying. <laughs> So Lee visits Sharon, <clears throat> and she says she knows how he feels, but she isn't the one who shot his father, and he's like, you're all the same. And she says he doesn't know what he's talking about, and he pulls out a gun, but Starbucks stops him, and then he grabs her by the arm and pulls her out of the room, and I hate when Lee does stuff like this. <laughs> I mean, I really hate it when anybody, when any guy on a TV show grabs a woman by her arm and pulls her into another room, mm -hmm. like, please don't do this but yeah. i really hate it when lee does it because it always reminds me of those those scenes between them after she slept with baltar mm -hmm. yeah i i had flashbacks of all that yeah yeah he says that she's the last one who should be telling him what to do after what she pulled and she throws back that he's clearly the poster boy for military discipline and that he doesn't have any idea what she went through on caprica 
So while you're standing here polishing off your halo, consider for a second that you may not have any damned idea what you're talking about, Captain. And she walks away. It's a good scene just be, you know, in contrast to earlier when she doesn't speak up to save mm-hmm. Sharon. Because you could tell she was wrestling with it in that moment. Yeah. And so the fact that she, you know, turns around here it's like okay that's why she didn't do it before yeah Zarek and Meyer meet in secret Meyer thinks that Roslyn is being reckless he says they have their own fleet now so why play follow the leader Zarek reminds him that they have a fleet because the people believe in Roslyn I'd say that means she has a fleet not them Meyer thinks she's a fraud, and Zarek does too, but he also believes in the power of myth. It doesn't matter if she's president or prophet. In the end, she needs a commander, a man in charge of the fleet. The man with the guns makes the rules. It, it's so funny. because I, I mean, you keyed in on that, and that's literally what I wrote. I wrote a man. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was so, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meyer asks what happens if she decides that Lee is the man in charge of the fleet. And they speak in these half sentences in code that basically boils down to the fleet needs her to stay in line. But should something happen to a certain someone on the planet, the scriptures did say that some of them will die on Well, Why not him? Who could they be talking about? There's a little bit of a meta thing going on here, too. It's kind of like Apollo versus Apollo. It's like Apollo or Apollo, <laughs> I noticed, which is, I don't know, to me, that's a little bit interesting, but, yeah. I always forget that it that Richard Hatch played Apollo, because for some reason, my brain always wants to tell me he played Starbuck. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Huh. But I know it's Apollo, but anytime I, like, look at him, I think he was Starbuck for some reason. It's funny. I mean, when I'm watching the show, he's Zarek. Like, I don't, I won't forget, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, but totally. um, it's just, I have to actually, my brain had to actually work at this to, to oh yeah, <laughs> he was Apollo, oh yeah, and then I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting, like, it's like a, he's kind of trying to vie for this position that in, in the, in the multiverse <laughs> he would have had. Uh, Birch fucks up a refueling mission, that's all I wrote about that. <laughs> so, I mean. Does that that's we'll get uh, we'll get into it a little bit more, but that scene actually is interesting because they they talk about how initially they wanted it to be like an explosion where one of the ships blows up and people die. Yeah, yeah, and that this I read that. Yeah, and that this actually this scene actually was supposed to be the last one before Adama makes his final choice. And um, the scene with, uh, that he has with D comes before that. And then they flipped it around and changed this one so that it's just that he's a screw up, like you said. That's a better choice. Yeah, it was a much better choice. So, like it didn't, yeah. I don't know, it, it would have added way too much like tragedy or something to it. And like, especially we've gone, we, the, the viewers have gone through so much. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I said like this episode ends up for me being a feel good episode by the end and mm-hmm. um I think if it had that weight on it it wouldn't have felt as good so Yeah. 
So Starbuck is bouncing a pyramid ball off the wall in a room strangely decorated with chain link fences. Apollo comes in and catches it and he bounces it off her forehead. She asks for it back and he thinks it's time to be cute and playful and she's not in the mood. And then he gives the ball back and she's at first she's like, forget it, never mind, who cares? And so he gives it back. And then they sit back to back with this fence between them. And he asks what's up with her and if she wants to talk about it. And she doesn't. He guesses it must have been really hard being back on Caprica. She probably saw some tough things. And either this mission tomorrow will work or it won't. But either way, he wants her to know that he's her friend and he loves her. So if she wants to talk, he's there for her. And he starts to walk away. And she's like, what was that middle part? And he's like, what? And she's like, you love me? And he's like, I, uh, and she, so she teases him. She's like, no, no, you, you love me. And he's like, I didn't mean it like that. And she's like, no, 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 no take backs. You love me. And they're really cute. Yeah, but it starts off so awkward and creepy, actually. Like, again, it was like <laughs> flashbacks to that episode uh, when... What, what what episode was that? Um, when when Lee was conf- it was in the the finale or the you know the episode leading up to the finale when Lee was like leaning into Starbuck, he just has mm-hmm. this whole like he can't quite like say what he wants to say, so he like dances around it and he does this really weird thing, which <laughs> so he sniffs the pyramid ball. <laughs> yeah and it was almost like the subtext i was reading was almost like a dog like snipping for like because <laughs> you know like she had... i don't i didn't take it that way i i i forgot about the sniffing thing but if i was gonna apply it to anything i would think it's like this is something that came from home yeah and it's the first thing he's seen in months now that was from home. So maybe it smells like home. Yeah. No, I mean, that on the surface, that's what I assumed. It's kind of like, because that's, I think she says it's from Caprica or something. And so he sniffs it. But like I said, the subtext to that, knowing what, <laughs> what we is know. knowing like he's yeah, around to yeah, see if she's yeah. got someone else's scent on yeah, her. Yeah, I was like sniffing a, <laughs> sniffing a dog's butt. A dog's butt I don't or something. think so. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's subtext. I'm not. It's not like you know. And you could kind now of maybe remember. maybe later Lee looks back and is like, oh, that is what I smelled, Anders. Yeah, but <laughs> and I, you know, I don't mean like literally. That's what's happening, but like kind of figuratively, that's what's <laughs> happening, right? Sorry, I was uh, I, I have no, master's, I don't think master's so. degree in English. I just what I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Okay. Well, I thought they were really cute. So, <laughs> I mean, towards the like, end, and I actually yeah. think it's only cute because of her. Actually, yeah, because like again, he's kind of. I think he's just he's like a he's like a you know awkward schoolboy that's not comfortable yeah. with his feelings. And I think that's why he could only say these things with his back to her. Yeah, yeah. And like he can't, he doesn't know how to express to her that he has feelings for her. Like he impulsively kissed her because, and that was like, that was real. Mm-hmm. He was so happy to see her that he kissed her and then mm-hmm. was like, oh, uh, because, you know, and it's complicated. She was engaged to his brother and whatever. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of history here. 
that would have to be like muddled through before they could be anything. But he's so closed off and unable yeah. to talk about his feelings. And then he like, it was, again, this is, this is subtext stuff. And I'm not saying it's like literal, but there's the observations I kind of make. Um, like as they were sitting back to back and he gets up, she kind of like leans back into the fence it's almost like he she was holding them up it was like this weird kind mm. of like thing and it, it like obviously like functionally it's just probably because he got up and but it's kind of <laughs> you know but it just kind of it's just like kind of reading it's it's almost like she was holding him up kind of thing and mm-hmm. um yeah it's uh, th- those two I, I just find it i just you know because of the origins of the original show that dynamic between you know these two characters has this other layer to it that i always just find fascinating like i you know by the end it's cute like again it's all of starbucks ad libs in this episode that i really loved (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, that make i think that made it funnier than it was intended to be so so they go to the surface of cobalt that's where we go next. And Lee gives Zarek Chekhov's gun. Alosha starts reading from the Scrolls of Pythia, and Sharon takes over reciting it from memory. And I'd be impressed if she weren't a robot. It's much easier to rem- to memorize things when you're, you've made a software. Uh, yeah. Remind me when Alosha says goodbye. <laughs> Okay. I have something to yeah, I have something to say. Go ahead. So as Sharon is reciting this, she's walking along until she points out this high road leading to a rocky ridge where the tomb probably is. The original thirteen tribes sound like dicks, by the way. Like most people in religious texts, come with us or your bodies will be offered to the gods. Anyway, they head in that direction. And as they do, Alosha notes that the path should be marked by gravestones. So that's cool. Cobalt sounds awful. It looks beautiful and sounds awful. They looked like the fellowship <laughs> of the ring. <laughs> Which one is Legolas? Uh, that would be Apollo, maybe. I don't know. Mm. Whoever you, th- I, I'm just, I'm leaning on whoever you think is the most handsome. Lover. No, I'm thinking like whoever is the best shot. That's what Legolas was. Uh, that would uh, be Starbucks. That'd be Starbucks. She's a sniper. All right. Come on. <laughs> Come on. She was she was guns blazed. Like she had she had the dual gun shooting. She's like <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. And she's blonde. Yeah, there you go. And she's mystical. <laughs> so Losha sees something, she bends down to clear away some like greenery off of it, and what she finds is a stone which has a carved symbol on it. Sharon is watching. Then Alosha stands up and Sharon hears a click and she yells for Alosha to wait. But this just makes her lift her foot up and she sets off this landmine that explodes. And the centurions come out and everybody takes cover and starts shooting. Hilo gets one of them. And after a few attempts, Lee gets another one and Sharon takes off running. Lee follows her thinking that she's trying to get away. She grabs a rocket launcher which Lee wrestles her to the ground, tries to get from her, and then she aims it at him, but it's really at the centurion over his head, and she shoots and kills it, and then she gets up and drops the weapon right next to Lee. All of this done with her hands tied. And he's like, you've got to be fracking kidding me. 
<laughs> why? What do you? Why do you think that was his reaction? And I think in his, in their heads, she's like she's like the la- like that's the person that shot his dad, and their brains or I mean they they wrestle with this through the episode. Um, they and through some subsequent episodes where it's just like they're they're trying to they haven't wrapped their heads around that this is an individual and like that's kind of what the show is about really right um so i just think that in that moment he just was like okay so he's like frustrated because she's actually helping them i didn't i didn't read it as frustrated i read it just like i can't believe what just happened that's just how i read it Mm. um because he just couldn't believe it like he's like she she ran off and his assumption was she was escaping i guess you know and he was like i'm not letting you get away and then she destroys the thing and his brain just kind of like can't resolve what just happened so kind of how i saw it yeah in the, the deleted scenes they actually have this whole sequence with alosha uh, they were like it's before they're getting on like they they fly the raider down I guess or whatever ship they took down to the planet. Um, Alosha is talking to Rosalind. It's actually a really good informative scene. I kind of see why they cut it out. Um, kind of wish they had kept it in because, you know, the transition from them being on the ship and then all of a sudden being on the planet always seems like it was like this weird jump to me. But neither here nor there. Um, Alosha is talking to Rosalind and she tells her a little bit about herself from the past. So she's, she says that she, um, uh, before the falls of the colonies, she was actually contemplating quitting the priesthood. Um, and then after the destruction of the colonies, she was kind of like, she was wishing she had died. And she had wished she wasn't a survivor. And it wasn't, she didn't turn until she had to swear in Rosalind. And she said, I saw the fear in your eyes as you were being sworn in. And that something like it kind of gave her a sense of purpose again. Hmm. And um, it just was a really good, like, you know, um, character building moment for her that makes her passing even more sort of like tragic. Um, and they talk a little bit uh, earlier, you know, they kept saying that there's a cost in blood um, that, you know, some of the planet and, you know, obviously it ends up being Alosha, but uh, sort of like from a storytelling functional standpoint, um, Ramor and Weddle or um, Ramor and uh, David Icke were saying that that was basically the cost in blood was for Rosalind specifically, not just like in this broader sense of someone will die but it's like the cost is that someone personal to Rosalind will die so that it feels like there's something on the line and they actually talk about like there was this this back and forth for weeks or something where it was going to be uh, Billy yeah. or Alosha. <laughs> yeah, I had that in my book. Once Rosalind's group returns to Cobalt, the mythology of the show called for a key member of her team to lose their life during the mission. While continued concerns over Paul Campbell's availability to work on the series meant that Billy was quickly earmarked as a possible fatality, 
The character was ultimately spared on this occasion. Alosha, however, <laughs> Alosha, however, was less fortunate and became a victim of a cobalt mine inspired by World War II's bouncing Bettys. Yeah. And so, anyways, yeah, it was. Like, I just thought that 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 interchange was uh, it's really was really interesting and one of those things. I know when they a lot, a lot of times when they have deleted scenes, sometimes I eject those scenes from my brain, but in other times I add them to the texture. And in this case, I definitely am adding that to to my backstory for her because it it was really kind of it just made her more human yeah. i think than than we kind of see her as she's like she seems, seems like all-knowing but really it's like oh there's this is a person that had actually lost her faith before all of this stuff happened and then it was renewed because she she said she saw the fear in rosalind's eyes and when she was being sworn in and just made it i don't know just made her way more relatable and now she's gone. I have another quote from Ron Moore in this book. He says, before we decided to kill her off, we did have other plans for Alosha. We planned to show her really stepping to the fore later in, on in the season and pushing her own agenda by manipulating Laura to pass certain laws. Yeah, they they say that in the director's commentary, too. There was like this whole subplot where it, like, it almost gets uh, dictatorial or something. It was really weird. I'm glad they didn't go that direction. Yeah, me too. Um, also in here, Home Part 1 sees Richard Hatch facing a Cylon assault for the first time since the original Battlestar Galactica. Oh. And he says, it was a very different experience on the new show because the Cylons are computer-generated characters that are added to the scenes after they've been shot. They're not actually there like they were in the original series, so you really have to use your imagination. I thought that was cute. How cute. All right, so we go back to the Galactica, and Adama is working on his model ship, which in um, Trisha's podcast, you know, later he smashes a ship. Yeah, that's a famous story, actually. <laughs> that ship that he smashed cost like $65,000. Yeah, it was from a museum, and he wasn't <laughs> aware. That is that... unbelievable. Yeah, they talk about it in the director's commentary of that episode. I think it's <laughs> Ma- Maels- Maelstrom, I think. And yeah, it's like, I think I think he said, uh, Rod Moore was like, how, they, how quiet <laughs> it was on the set or something when, they, when he broke the broke your little ship. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, that's, I just, it's crazy. Um, yeah. So he's talking to someone we don't see at first. And betrayal, he says, betrayal has such a powerful grip on the mind. It's almost like a python. It can squeeze out all other thought, suffocate all other emotion until everything is dead except for the rage. I'm not talking about anger. I'm talking about rage. I can feel it right here like it's going to burst. I feel like I want to scream right now, matter of fact. And he's talking to Dee. She asks if she can say something. And then she says that she doesn't think the problem is that he was betrayed. It's that he feels helpless. He was shot and he couldn't do anything. And when he finally had the chance, he let them down. He made them a promise to find them a home. And it doesn't matter what Rosalind or Lee did. Every day that they stay broken apart is a day he has broken that promise. He tells her that the people on those ships made their own decisions and then tells her to leave and she says that he asked to talk to her and maybe it's because he thought she didn't have anything to say but she does 
and she puts her hand on his and she tells him that it's time to heal the wounds he doesn't want to hear it she says children are separated from their parents and he's like that's enough he gets up and walks away this such it's such a good like look into adama because one you know one thing i noticed just watching the show like up to this point how he's always, you know, it's like he's always so understated about things and he doesn't really show very much emotion in a lot of instances. But it's not that he's a robot and it's just that he mm -hmm. controls himself and you actually get it here. Like he actually expresses it with words like this is kind of what's going on with him. And especially because of what's happened in the last week or so, he's even more um, upset, I guess. Um so I don't know. It was like a good like character profile for Commander Adama. Mm -hmm. And also just like I think this is the first time we really get to see the relationship that D has with him. Um and it's a little bit yeah. more of like a, you know, like not it's like almost like father daughter more so than like we've been able to see before. Soon it'll be daughter-in-law. But uh <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, just the way she holds his hand um, kind of crosses a line. Like, the, for in that instant, it kind of, you know, the, you know, the command structure's gone. Even though he, as he even though he established his authority, um, she just is like, no, in this moment. And then also, it's really, it's really cool mm -hmm. because it kind of sets up this idea of family which he will come into a little bit later so i just really liked it <laughs> there was a question in the official companion but also patricia helfer said this too like why did adama ask to talk to d and the idea is that they spend a lot of time with d relaying their messages and d being in their ears so there's a level of familiarity of like she listens and we hear her talk for us, something like that, that like she's, but also I just think she's probably a very sympathetic character. And I think she also was a little bit right here. He probably didn't think that she had a whole lot to say. Yeah. That's why it was so good. Like, ah, oh, she stood up for herself and called him out. And... Yeah. Yeah. So... With it, but it was like past compassionate. Mm -hmm. It was like a plea for herself, a plea for him, a plea for the fleet. It was so good. And then if you filed this little speech that she gave away and refer back to it later, mm -hmm. what decision she makes for herself later makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I know when when that happens, there were a lot of people when it first aired, they were like, this just seems like out of the blue for D to do something like this. And maybe I felt that way, too, at the time. I don't remember. But in rewatching and seeing her, especially if you, you binge it and you see things sort of compacted together a little bit more, mm -hmm. it was perfectly in character to me. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't not see it in character it just was like it made sense mm -hmm. like yeah her like everyone's brain broke like you spent three and a half years yeah 
and then everything's a lie, you think? There's right. no hope, right? Yeah. Everybody <laughs> handled it differently. Yeah. <clears throat> it got spoiled for me. Oh, um, no, really? Well, I, I think it's like a testament to the show. I don't know. I couldn't watch it the, that day or something. I had to watch it later, and it kind of got spoiled somehow. But it's a testament to the show that I knew it was coming, and I still was surprised. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, it wasn't how, like, I knew what, I knew she was gone, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. Right. So, so like, I knew she was, I was like, oh, you know, and then I still was shocked. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So, that I, I, I always, like, say, yeah, it, I got spoiled, but I still was, like, in shock. So, show does a good job of, I don't know. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> It really does. Such a good job of stuff. <laughs> That's the technical term. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So Rosalind is sitting over Alosha's body crying, and Lee comes up behind her and tells her they have to go. And she takes Alosha's book of stri- scriptures, and Meyer watches them ominously. I think this guy might be up to no good. <laughs> Adama walks around the ship as his theme song hums behind him. And he seems to come to a realization that he's being petty and a dictator, I hope. He returns to the CIC and the pan flute pipes up. And he asks Gaeta for all the recon material on COBOL. And Ty's like, COBOL? Like, it's the first time he's heard of it. COBOL? (laughs) (laughs) Adama says he's putting the fleet back together. He's putting their family back together. This ends now. And Dee looks very pleased, gives a little smile to herself, and then we get to be continued. Oh, yeah. I love that moment so much. It made me, like, I just, my heart was all warm and fuzzy, and I was like, oh, okay. I just love, I love that. I like to think (laughs) that he was wandering around the ship, and like, fuming, and the more he thought about what she said, the more he started to feel stupid for how angry he's been. And how he's been behaving and just realizes, like, okay, yeah, she was right. Yeah, that's exactly what I think it was. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you're being sarcastic, but I'm like, I'm no, not that's... being sarcastic. I'm yeah, just, like, I... like, I'm, I know that she got to him, but I'm, I want to attribute all of the thanks to her for it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> not, <laughs> like, I think it's not like it's that all... he needs to get Lee back so he has a competent CAG. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was because of what she said. Okay. And she like I said, she like, you know, that the, the thing that I again, like thing I think this it's so good about that scene is that like she was making a plea to her relationship to him. She was making a plea for his relationship to Lee and also to the fleet and also to Rosalind. And how even though by whatever, like, the rules are, they should have followed the path that, you know, Ty and then Adama, like, were following. But she gets him to see that, like, like in a family, there's this thing called forgiveness. And sometimes you just have to, you know, you know, mend fences and you come back together and let, like, even though somebody betrayed you... You know, you still have to kind of find a way to work together and be together again. And so she was the voice of reason in that. And yeah, he was walking around the ship and that stuff was bouncing around in his head. And then it just finally 
I don't, I, I mean, other, it was, it's not, a, I don't think it was about him needing a CAG. It was like my son, you know? If it they'd just, edited it the other way around, it would have looked like he'd made this decision because Birch fucked up over and over again and he realized like he was, they need his son back. Right. Yeah. Like, and they could, you actually, they actually shot it that way. Like in a, the earlier scene, right at the scene when um, the ships are, whatever crashing into each other like he's walking into the cic and d's right behind them so they that like the implication is that they had that conversation before but yeah they the way they flipped it around it became much more of a character moment rather than like you know oh my god he, he can't get the ships to dock let's make the fleet come back together because that's i mean that's like i don't know that's a little cold mm-hmm. <laughs> self-serving you know yeah. Um, but the way that they did it here, just more about like, like they're a family. And regardless of, you know, it's like, yes, we have the military. Yes, we have the civilian fleet. But it's like, I guess, what does it mean to be human? Which is, again, what the show is all about. And um, so we're now on this path to making ourselves whole again. And um, whenever I see that sort of like, you know, there's like a breakdown or whatever. And then we go down this path to make ourselves whole even in the face of like having broken laws i always just like i'm like i guess i'm a sucker for it like you know this is not the star trek strange new worlds podcast but this episode blew me away this last episode that they had and it was sort of like the same idea as like just kind of bringing things whole and um about family and the bonds that we have with other people and that's what's really important at the end of the day so i loved this episode even though not much happens <laughs> yeah it's it's a lot of setup yeah. i mean the major there's major things that happen like we now have hilo and sharon off of caprica and they're they've got the arrow of apollo and alosha dies you know but it feels like very much like part one yeah I mean, it definitely does feel like that. But I think another thing, too, is um, because, and they, they talk about this just a little bit in the, the commentary for this episode, but, um, like, we're on episode six, right? <laughs> yeah. And we're still, like, it's still, everything's still broken down. And so now we're just getting these first hints of things coming back together. Yeah, Ron Moore also says that um, this basically is he says home is essentially the end of season one right it resolves all the arcs from season one and the season finale and after home we open up new arcs in a way to really begin season two yeah and that's wild because by the time they start to open up like the main arc it's really not till like i think uh what's flight of the phoenix where it kind of set some stuff up and then pegasus met but pegasus was the was the mid-season finale yeah and so they took all this time to tell this thing that's from season one i just think it's great and um it's like harkens back i think i've said it on this podcast before and i've said it to other people um like on deep space nine one of the things i really loved about um i think it was like uh, season five going into six was like they had to abandon the space station because it got attacked and so any other show in the past, you know, it's like the season finale, it just kind of resets back to the status quo. But it it was some episodes before they actually mm-hmm. 
got to be back on the space station. And then that moment when they get back on the space station and people are clapping and like, I'm just a sucker for that stuff. They really <laughs> sold, they sold that whole thing. So it wasn't just a given. It's one of the reasons why I dislike Voyager so much, but um, it's just that they actually kind of pay attention to this idea of there being this long arc of not only not only um, plot, but character and how character dies back in the plot. So it's just not like wrapped up so quickly, which a testament to them for making this episode longer than it originally was intended. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they they were like, oh, no, we actually need to give this whole thing some room because we've been, you know, we've been playing in this box for a while. So we're not just going to flip the switch and have it be over. Right. Yeah. So, was Baltar the worst this week? Uh, no. No. Got one scene with him. (laughs) That's what I said. He was barely in it again, so. Yeah. Who gets full colors? Um, that's a good question. I, I almost, you know what? I'm going to give it to Sharon Valeri. Okay. That's what I'm going to give it to. Yeah. I'm going to give it to D. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. Who would you throw out the airlock? Uh, James Remar. Yeah. That's what I said. Meyer. Yeah. And this week's favorite Cylon? Sh- and Sharon. Mine's that one up on the ridge. No, it's Sharon. <laughs> I like when they were shooting and Starbucks like, nice shot. Or, yeah. or she's like, that was a good one. I don't know. There's like all these ad lifts. I just really like those are cool. Do we have any new reviews? Um, you know, I haven't looked. Oh my god. It's your one job. Yeah. It was uh <laughs> I mean I am a what's his name? I'm a Burke when it comes to I mean I, I relate to him a lot. Birch, yeah, I relate to him a lot actually. Oh my Between god. him and Apollo, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm, maybe that's why they trigger me so much. <laughs> well, while you're looking for that, I did a little bit of research and I learned that you can't leave a review on spotify but you can rate shows so if you use spotify to listen to us you go to the main page for our show and underneath the follow button you'll see an icon for star ratings and we would love it if you would do this and give us some ratings to help people find the show and help the show grow and also go onto itunes and rate and review us there please yes please I cannot see if we have reviews on my phone for some reason. Um, I don't think we do. I think I checked the other day. Yeah. So unless something came yeah. in in the last couple of days, I would say we don't have any new ones. So please go review us. Thank you. Uh, you can message us on Twitter at GalactuallyPod. You can send us emails at GalacticaActuallyPodcast at gmail.com if you have long-winded things you would like to say. You can see photos on Instagram, including a little video that Diallo put together for a crushdown. Who Sam Whitworth liked it? Yes, he did. Yeah, what, that was awesome. Yes, it was. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that I like added Michael Truco <laughs> in my comment for oh, did last you? week's I didn't episode. Know, I didn't yeah, because I wanted to see if I could get his attention. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the hunky boy. The hunky. I was putting up images specifically with you in mind. I, I appreciate it. I, 
I've been waiting for this for so long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if you want to hear my past work, I was a co-host on the Unspoiled Network. I covered Lost and Band of Brothers and Doctor Who and The Punisher and Vampire Diaries. Partially, we never finished the Vampire Diaries. And where can people find you? You can find me at the Armageddon, Armathreden on Instagram, uh, First of Well Chronicles on Instagram, uh, Angela in the Dark. Um, we're actually going to be launching it officially on Friday, June 30th. June Ooh. 30th. So, yeah, so that's going to be the premiere date. Uh, it'll be on links on YouTube. If you get a chance to watch it, um, it's best if you put it on, if you like cast it on a big screen and if you have a decent sound system to do that. Um, but how long know, is it? Um, it's 16 minutes. Oh, so it's not, not too long. Yeah. I appreciate any of like, I appreciate no matter how you watch it, that you can watch it. Um, awesome. By the time this comes out, it'll already be out, I think. So, yes. um, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. And you know, share it to everyone you know, so it can go viral. And yeah, and then maybe you can get picked up by Disney or something. Uh, yeah, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, Disney, maybe. Oh <laughs> uh, no! It's, but you know, anyway. DreamWorks? Um, Do they still make animated? Yeah, so I don't know. Nick, Nick, Nickelodeon, maybe. Netflix. But, uh, Netflix likes to do animated stuff. Yeah, they do. They do. So anyway, it is. Um, it is our. So it's it's called Volume Zero. So basically, it sets up the world and gives us a hint of some of the characters and storylines that will be taking place um, down the road. Um, if we get enough traction for it, we'll be able to continue and do more. So, um, really want to make a push to actually see the potential of the project. Um, and it was fun to do. So, and okay. Murray Gold did the theme, which is still crazy every time i edit stuff i'm like wow yeah that's that was awesome that was that was cool <laughs> <laughs> so thank you murray wherever you are england probably right yeah that's where that's where he lives yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well next week we have home part two where we get the band back together finally yes this is the end of the first arc of the show, it's yeah, crazy. I might. Um, I'm going to go back and revisit. Um, I think it's uh, Planet of the Gods Part One and Two from the original show, just to kind of refresh my memory about like what elements um, kind of came up. Um, I don't think too too much. Uh, the dynamics are a little bit different, but you know. There were there was a lot of going into tombs and having secret symbols to unlock doors and stuff. So um, I'll be able to speak on that a little bit too. Okay, well you enjoy yourself doing that. I mean, I will love the show. <laughs> so you would, without that, you wouldn't have this. That's true. So, yeah. So kind of like how I said we without um, without what's that dancing movie <laughs> with the. Uh, Ryan Gosling, Gosling, the musical that he did. Oh, La La Land. Yeah, without La La Land, we wouldn't have the greatest showman. So oh. I hate La La. I hate La La Land, but that did so well. Those guys went on to make the greatest showman, which I love more than anything. So 
or without really? Voyager, we wouldn't have Battlestar Galactica. So this version of Battlestar Galactica. So okay, this has all happened before. <laughs> It'll all happen again. And <laughs> well, until then, what do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Bye. See ya. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.